ฮาเลลูยาอาจจะสวนุพิกัพและ not go back too much on uh, what we've been talking about because tonight I want to show you uh, four strategies of war which we want to borrow from what's done in the military and apply it in our lives on a personal level as well as on a national level. But so far, we we have covered quite a bit of ground from Second Corinthians two six, and we were looking mainly at verse eleven, that says that in order that Satan might not have advantage over us, or in order that Satan might not outwit us, and it says, for we are not ignorant of his devices or his schemes. And we said that this expression, in the original, it literally reads that we may have no advantage gained over us by Satan, namely by letting one member be lost through despair. And we explained all of that. And we're trying to show how we don't realize sometimes that Satan takes advantage over us. And defeats us not because he's more powerful than us, but that he finds a way not to square up with us pound for pound. But he uses a strategy, as I've mentioned. What happens in boxing when you have two fighters meeting together, and I, and you have one fighter who's a big, strong guy. One punch takes you out, and they square up with an opponent. Who is much more lighter in weight, not as strong, more of a boxer than one who punches you out, and yet at the end of the fight, the guy who is not very strong is the one who wins. And when they get interviewed, they tell you that, "Look, I I tried not to square up with the guy pound for pound. What I did was to exploit his weaknesses. He's big and strong, but the brother is slow." His punch can take you out, but he's not as fast. So I used my speed, and I just made sure I stay away from his strength, his power. I didn't try to knock him out. I tried to beat him on points. So I piled up a lot of punches on him, and just stayed out of trouble. And this is really what happens often with the enemy outwitting us. Has been ignorant of his devices and his schemes, without really appearing to be magnifying Satan so much, which is not our intention. But the reason we're raising it is because oftentimes many of God's people really don't know what's going on, and they get taken advantage of. So Paul says we're not ignorant of his devices because he's trying to trick us. He's trying to outmaneuver us. He's trying to. To outwit us, and so yesterday when we closed, we were looking at those words: the word ignorant, the word devices, and we were looking at all these words to see what they mean. And we explored those words, which I'm not going to go back on those words. And we then saw how 
It's important for us to keep our armor on. Especially the loin belt. I think that one got a lot of people going. Because Satan takes advantage if we are ignorant of his devices. So we said the word advantage simply means to trick somebody. Someone who has sinister or sneaky means. Satan is, has got sneaky ways and takes advantage. And by the way, he has done it us. He kind of knows how we wired. He has studied as we, where we started in December, our lineages in our family lines. He kind of knows what the family lineage is susceptible to. And this is where, Barcelona, the grace of God is such an important thing for us. To know that in spite of all of that, we can walk as victorious people. But then the Bible, when it says we're not ignorant, it, it refers to somebody who lacks certain facts. If, if, if Satan uses strategies and schemes, we must also learn his strategies. Because he doesn't have any creative power. He uses the same strategy that he has used for a long time. And so once you learn his strategy, you can almost be preempted than reactive. And this is what I was saying yesterday that even when it comes to prayer and certain spiritual things that we do, we, we shouldn't pray on our back foot. You know, sometimes people get serious with prayer when they're in trouble. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't know why you're not saying amen. It looks like he's talking about someone who's not very far from me here. And yet we saw yesterday the example of Job. That Job was able to build this hedge. Or God built the hedge for him based on his consistency in prayer, in giving offering. And he did that every day. Let me say this again. I've said it before. A great spiritual life is not built overnight. In fact, Nothing in this life which is major, great, big, magnanimous didn't go through the process of being built. If you have a great business, it's been built. If you have a great career, it's been built. If you have a great marriage, it's been built. If you have a great church, it's been built. Anything in, the, in this world gets built. The same goes with a great spiritual life. You'll never have a great spiritual life if you are one of those people who simply does New Year resolutions and you're only serious with God only in general. Or the person who only prays when you have trouble or you only go to church when things are bad. Because great things are not built. Listen, Barcelona. They are not Build kadirazmatas and they're not noisy. Building is a, is, is, is a strenuous, boring, difficult process. And, and oftentimes when you are busy building and when you're having problems, people give up on the project. So sometimes you have to be more committed to what you're doing and ignore the comments of the people and don't care what people are saying. 
if you have the mindset of a builder, you get to a point where you understand emotions will not help you. You have to build even when you're not seeing progress. Ah, you're not hearing what I'm saying tonight. So, a great spiritual life, Barcelona, is built by certain disciplines. Yeah. You've got to build the discipline of prayer. And pray consistently. Every day. Short prayers, long prayers, medium prayers. Pray in Sisutu, Sisulu, Shitsonga, Nestosa. Pray in other tongues. Just, just, just pray. Pray at home. Pray at church. Pray at work. Pray in the car. Pray everywhere. Let it be an atmosphere. Of you got to, you got to, yeah, yeah. You, you, people pray without ceasing. That, that's how you build the muscle of prayer. To pray without ceasing. Read the word, study it, rehearse it, speak it, memorize it, act on it, meditate on it. I mean, I tell you, immerse yourself. Go to church. Build the habit of going to church. Sit under teaching. Sit under training. Go to every conference. Go to every event of your local church. Go there, support, sit. Even when the preaching is offending you, just say amen that day. It's still all right. It's all right. Yeah. And as you do that, all of a sudden you realize there's a wall that's up. Didn't come overnight. And as I was saying yesterday, I really want to encourage the young people here. You know, when I came in, I spoke to a number of young people outside. I was greeting them and talking to them. And I was asking them, how is it, you know? 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds, and even younger. I said, oh, Bishop, it's so nice. I said, what are you learning? They said, no. Um, one of them says, no, I was streaming. The first day I was streaming, but the way it was, I thought I must just come here in. Shaba, yaba, 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 yaba. She said, it's so good. But you see those young people? When they learn what we're teaching here, if they can apply it, watch them when they're 20 years old. And somebody will tell you, no, they have built that life. And I see you building that life in Jesus' name. Yeah. So, let's talk about these strategies, Barcelona. Wars are not won necessarily on might. Even if you use power and might, but wars are usually won on strategy. Strategy is simply planning, coordinating, and giving direction of military operations. And you're doing this to meet your military objectives. So, strategy means you're not only thinking about now. And you are not in a hurry to launch attack. And there's things that you commit to because you know that 
Finally, you'll bring the enemy on its knees. Finally. Therefore, in warfare, tactics are implemented. Sometimes there's short-term decisions that the troop is assigned and then the troops also employ the use of weapons on the military, on the, on the battlefield rather. Now, there are many books that are written on wars. And I would advise you to buy some of them and read them because the picture language that Paul uses about us as the body of Christ is that we are soldiers and we're in, war, in warfare. And I've honestly looked at many ministries that have great impact and have looked at the way many of those leaders have led those churches. Many of them use military strategies even if they don't tell you. Including this one who is not going to tell you either. <laughs> because we are at war. This is important. So I'm going to take some of the excerpts from the book by Robert Green on strategies of war. He outlines about five principles. I'll only focus on four of them. Here's what's interesting. Of the five strategies of war, four of them deal with your mindset. <laughs> They deal with you getting your mind or your head in the game. So, and, and, and by the way, when, when the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, when you read further, it says the mighty through God to the pulling down of what? And then hearing. Casting down what? Imaginations, that's right. And every high thing that Exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. So, wars are about mindsets, how we think. And, and very often, Christian people lose it at that point. So, I want us to look at these four things, alright? And then at the end, I'm going to show you in detail some of the principles there that we're going to be able to apply together. Number one, are you ready? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, are you ready? <laughs> the first thing is, declare war on your enemies. It's called the polarity strategy. The polarity strategy. Now watch this. Life is an endless battle and conflict. And you cannot fight effectively unless you can identify your enemy. Now, this is what we were saying the other days. You see, when people play around with sin, it's because they, they haven't understood how the enemy uses sinful life to neutralize them. So you play around with stuff, you want to be relevant, and then you, you don't understand why you are not winning. So you got to know who your enemy is. Know your enemy. Identify your enemy. 
And once you've identified your enemy, as they say, smoke them out. How? Look at their patterns, study their signs, and be aware of their hostility. Be aware that once your enemy has you on their radar, in their sights, they want to take you out. But where now, once you have them on your radar, we know we're already more than conquerors, but smoke him out. Inwardly declare war on your enemies. Find purpose in smoking out your enemies. <laughs> Let me tell you what I mean. I remember years ago at the, the Rema conference, during one of the breaks, Pastor Ray, you know, we had, they had gone on lunch, and for some reason they were, he was, they were, they were drinking, I think it was Coke or Fanta Orange, they were drinking something. And he, and a bee sat on his tongue. He didn't realize. And in the process, it stung him at the back of the tongue. Now, those of you in the medical field, you know how dangerous that can be. And then his tongue got swollen. Of course, they gave him medical attention. And then he finally came into the service. Then we used to have even afternoon services. But he came in a bit late. And you know what Pastor Ray did? He got up and made an altar call. And I was asking myself, I mean, you, you couldn't even hear what he's saying. And then afterwards he said, I wanted to hit back at the enemy. Yeah. Hey! 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 Let me give you an example. This is an amazing thing. Do you remember when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded? Do you, do you remember that? Do you remember that story? What does he do? He, he goes away to be alone because, I mean, Jesus and John the Baptist were related. And John the Baptist was the only one who really understood the ministry of Christ. Embraced him, baptized him, released him to the rest of the body by announcing his arrival. So he had an affinity to John the Baptist. So John the Baptist gets murdered. So Jesus just goes away to go cool off. But then his disciples come to him and say, everybody's looking for you. Did you do you remember what he did? When he came back, you know what he did? He healed the sick and cast out devils. What is he doing? He's hitting back at the kingdom of darkness. Let's hit back at the kingdom of darkness by making altar calls. Getting drug addicts to get off drugs. Come on, are you there in the house? Let's hit back at the kingdom of darkness by causing families to be reconciled, homes to be brought back together again. Yeah. Let's be aware all the time to hit the enemy where it hurts the most. Have him on our radar. We've declared war on the enemy. Because you'll find more purpose and more direction in smoking out your enemy. And because you know he's your enemy, therefore, don't give him advantage over you. The day you feel discouraged to come to church, instead of yielding to the discouragement, come to church and let that be the day where you're going to sing the loudest and run around better. 
When he hits your business, huh? when he hits your business, you know what you do? You start giving more and being more good. Oh, yeah. For me, sometimes when he has hit my health, that's the day he shits a blind lie. I come on, when you understand war, you don't allow your emotions to control you. Hey, you are not hearing what we are saying. Yeah. Why? Because you are aware. I've got the enemy on the radar. So our text says, for us not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. Satan is our enemy. What's an enemy? It's a person who actively opposes you and who is hostile towards you. He's opposed, he's unfriendly, he's unfavorable, he's not agreeable. He will not encourage you in any way. An enemy is someone who attacks you, tries to harm you. How Roberti is planning your demise. An enemy is someone who fosters harmful designs against you, engages in antagonistic activities against you. So we're at war. And let's not play around, Bazalon. Reinhard Bonke used to preach this a sermon. Erring populating heaven and plundering hell. And what he meant was, we've got to get people to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. Plunder hell and populate heaven. And that gives you passion. When you live like that, it gives you passion. You know every day you wake up, you are at war. You know that. I'm not saying we must look for demons behind every bush. But I, I'm understanding that every day I walk, I'm at war. And you are, you, are, you, are, you are conscious of that. The word of God tells us that we're already victorious over satanic power. That Jesus has already overcome the devil. And for that reason, God has provided us with weapons. So smoke the enemy out. Lead people to Christ. Tell people about Christ. Pray for the sick. Yeah. Show the goodness of God. When people show hate, walk in love. Be the light in your family. Smoke the devil out. Just smoke the devil out. Number two, the second strategy is what they call the, the gorilla war of the mind strategy. And what is the gorilla war of the mind strategy? They say, do not fight the past. One of the ways Satan gets into our mind is to weigh us down with the past. Many people have bound themselves to things that have happened in the past which bring misery to them. You must therefore consciously force yourself to react to the present moment. And be ruthless on yourself. Don't build a monument to your failures. 
And if you applied something that didn't work for you, don't repeat the same tired methods. Make the gorilla war of the mind. And don't allow any static lines of defense. Realize that life unfolds. What happened yesterday, it's ahead. If I lost yesterday, it's water under the breath. Why is it important for us to bury the past? Because Satan thrives on using the spirit of condemnation. I'm praying to God that with the last two, three days in the loins stuff, that for those who've repented and for all of us as we've repented, let's bury what we did yesterday. You understand what I mean? Let's be, don't let the devil say, no, you've had so many women, so many men. The blood of Jesus has cleansed me. You are too late. Jesus was too fast for you. Yeah. If any man be in Christ is a new creature. Or oh, the Bible says, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sing song. I've been cleansed from all unrighteousness. Can I hear someone say I've been cleansed? Oh, yes. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we do things that are not right. Sometimes we miscalculate. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we don't have a year that we're expecting. Things don't work out well in our home, in our business. So what? Don't be married to condemnation. Remember what the Bible says in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, no condemnation. No. Look at the other neighbor and say, no condemnation, neighbor. No. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But then it also says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What it means is walk in the spirit. Live right. Live for God. But don't allow condemnation to come your way. If you didn't pass last year, so what? If your marriage ended last year, so what? If your business didn't work last year, so what? If your ministry didn't work last year, so what? Thank God we still have a brand new year called 2024. Hey, and what's up 2024? Here we come. We come with a different mindset. Different mindset. Yesterday is gone, it's forgotten. You can remind me all you can, but I'm not going to buy into your lies, Satan. 2024, here we come. Hallelujah. Don't walk in condemnation. Note, Bazalan. Revelation 12.10 calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. Let me show you. This is how he accuses. He accuses you to you. He accuses you to other Christian people. He accuses you to other people and he accuses you before God. That's why he's called the accuser. Therefore, what the accuser uses is to condemn. The word condemn means to give judgment against. 
or to pronounce a sentence upon. What is condemnation? Condemnation is a feeling of guilt and shame over past wrongs. This is why, Basalana, when you raise children, let them teach them right and wrong, but don't shame them. There's a difference, Basalana. There's a difference. There's a difference. And please, I ask you, don't call children names. Please don't do that. And don't overcorrect children and cause them to walk around with a guilty feeling. You know, one of the biggest problems of religion, and I didn't say Christianity, I said religion, is to dish out a guilty spirit upon people. Where people are always trying to appease God and they have forgotten that it's been done on their behalf by Jesus hanging on the cross. And, and, and so this is what happens. When you feel guilt and condemnation, even when Satan attacks you, you feel that you deserve it. That, that's the lie he purports. If, if you feel like you deserve you feel like you can't stand against him because I am not strong, I'm not pure, I'm not powerful. I've got these things. Deal with condemnation. Don't allow condemnation in your life. And don't let people condemn you. And if I may say, in these days where people are finding security and self-worth from how many likes they get on their Facebook page. Let me tell you, Basalana, the social media world is a poisonous dungeon of hell sometimes, not always. Where you have people out there who are fancy free and loose. Poisonous, evil people who are going to dump their evil on you. They don't have any better purpose than to be looking around and making comments. People who don't know anything about anything are the biggest talkers ever. And if when you are going to draw yourself with what they said about your hair on Facebook. Look, look, look at your neighbor saying, Bishop, I think Bishop saw you. I, I think I, I have a suspicion. And you know, Basalan, I'm very act- I'm not I'm not as active on social media, I, but even if I'm in it. But it's it's one thing that I've learned. I think I learned when we had our issues a few years ago. And and we came under heavy attack. Hey. That's the day I decided that's working. Uh, I'm not gonna read these posts anymore. Yeah. And I'm not talking about denial, I'm just saying. You just have to keep your back straight and your confidence in God. You are accepted by God. Even if everybody rejects you, God accepts you. Yeah. And people's opinion about us. And this is where we end up trying to make fit in. You know? You try to fit in with people. You are trying to fit in because... And, and everybody will always have an opinion about you. So condemnation is a feeling of guilt and shame over the past. Secondly, condemnation is a sense of deserving to be punished. I'm talking about Satan's strategy here. He gets into your mind. Condemnation is an inward sense of worthlessness and guilt before a holy God. Wow. 
And all these I've, I've, I've extrapolated from the Bible. Condemnation is a haunting feeling of helplessness over the damage you caused. So you're always being reminded of the wrong that you make, but you're not allowed to make restitution. Even if Olekaulukisa is still not good enough. But what's worse is condemnation demands for you to pay. And it is the greatest enemy in us approaching God in faith and confidence. Look at 1 John 5.14. And this is the confidence that we have in him. One translation says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In the book of Hebrews, come boldly to the throne of grace. See, you, you, you have to go before God with a sense of knowing that God hears me, God's going to grant me what I'm asking for. And, and, and God finds nothing wrong in me because it's all been taken care of in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. You have to. You have to. You have to. 1 John 5, 15 says, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire from him. It's condemnation that causes people not to come to church. Because they say, what we are there? And therefore it causes us to run from God instead of running to God. And the truth is, only God can free us from condemnation. Amen. Only Jesus paid it all for us. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, he paid it all for your neighbor. He paid it all. Paid it all. Our works and our efforts can never atone for our wrongs and our sins. We've got to receive what Christ has done for us. Free mahala. And be thankful for it. You know, having grown, being a, an attender of church and grown under, you know, a, a religious upbringing, which was great. But like I said, the, the difficulty is when you put on a cloak of religion. Because you see, when you use religion as a cloak, you are always trying to reach God. And, and Ozamagayo acts, you know, you, 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 you speak softly. You tiptoe in church. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, you all do the, all these outward things to really try and, and see if God will look in your direction. And, and when it doesn't happen, you feel worse. You do more, you do more. So you grow with this sense. But I remember that when I received Christ, my goodness, there was such a sense of freedom. <laughs> if the son of man sets you free, you are free indeed. No guilt, no condemnation. You remember that song we used to sing? You remember that song? Some of you, you don't know that song. Look at that. Look at that. Number three. Number three. The third strategy is what they call the counterbalance strategy. I write two takaji. Yeah, I can meet. 
The counterbalance strategy. What is that? Amidst the turmoil of events, don't lose your presence of mind. See, one of the things Satan does is he overwhelms you with so many problems until you do something stupid. Where you are, who you are, what you have. Let me give you an example. I always, I always use this example, you know. She's here, uh, our church member, Kasim uh, Lelurkima. When I was still a young pastor, as, you know, uh, in the early days of me passing, I didn't have a car. So, you know, there's a family in our church that would always let me use their car. And I was very grateful. So I, I'd use their car. But the problem is they had dogs in this, in this, in this, in this. You know, and growing up in Soweto, I was, I, was, I was never one who knew dogs, understood like I do now. And I was always afraid of dogs because, you know, the dogs in Soweto, they didn't have vision. They didn't take care of their houses. They go out on the street and chase everybody. So I just grew up with this negative thing towards dogs. And for some reason, I think it was fear. I think they could smell out my fear. And somehow dogs would always come for me. I mean, I would be walking with my friends. They would leave all my friends and come for me. So I really grew up with a lot of, I don't have that fear anymore, but I had a lot of fear. So, but, but in this particular house, the nice thing was it was a big yard that they had cordoned off. You know, they had a gate that divided the house, the back part of the house and the front part of the house. And there was this gate that was always locked. Everybody say always locked. Always. Yeah, always locked. And the, do- the dogs were behind the gate. So, you know, every time, even if I came to come and get the car, they would reverse the car out, you know, put it in the front, and then lock the gates. So I always knew the gates were locked. There's no issue. I mean, so when I came into the yard, even if the dogs ran, no problems. Gates locked, no problems. No fear, no problems. All right? So <laughs> I remember this particular day. Uh, <laughs> I, I had gone preaching. I had come from some preaching. No, no, actually, I think I had gone preaching, yeah. And, and here I am, those days, eh? Yeah, and I've got my King James Bible and my bell-bottom. No, 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 not bell-bottom. But, but I'm with my Afro hair and everything. And I, and I come into the yard and I, and, I, and I park the car. And of course, I know that the gate's locked. The gate is locked. And I don't know who in that family, God forgive them, <laughs> had used the gate and didn't lock it. Not, not, not only did they not lock it, they didn't close it. <laughs> so as the dogs ran up to the gate as I came out of the car, I had no problem because I know that the thing is locked. And when they came to the gate, you know, they would always push up against the gate and the gate opened. <laughs> hey, it was a lot. As I was running out of the yard, saying things that are not sanctified. (laughs) I forgot about Psalms 91. I forgot that (laughs) Akfaneli <laughs> I it was traumatic. Bible went one side, everything went as I ran out, and I made, 
there was so much commotion. <laughs> People came out of the houses to see. <laughs> and here's this man of God, you know, who is saying all these ungodly things. <laughs> I was very traumatized by that. So anyhow, the owner of the house came out and rebuked the dogs. But they were laughing at me, which, which is another thing I have to settle with them. So now finally I came back, gave them that car, went home, and I'm really traumatized. So during the week, I'm, 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 I'm take, talking to Prophet Kabisa Dwaba, you know, we are at our office, he said, I was at that house, eh? And he goes, how Murut? What's happening, Chatzel? I said, what do you mean? He says, those dogs, those dogs are the most harmless dogs. They are rasa fan. Hey, my ego. And just to make sure, I went back to that house to prove the point. And I went to those dogs just to make sure I proved the point. And then I realized, in the midst of the situation, I lost the presence of mind. I ran from something I shouldn't run from. And that's exactly what Satan does. That's exactly what he does. In the heat of the battle, the mind tends to lose its balance. That's why we see people leaving God and turning towards other belief systems. They say, I was praying, Jesus didn't help me, so I left Jesus and I went this other way. At the heat of the battle, people make decisions that are permanent decisions over momentary temporal problems. People resign jobs, walk away from their homes, leave a church, people stop vision, people get into a drunken stupor. Trying to drown away the problem. That day alone. all along. But that day alone. Because in the heat of the battle, we lose the presence of mind. It's vital to keep your presence of mind and maintain your mental powers, whatever the circumstances. And how do you do that? Make your mind tougher by exposing it to adversity. That's why in the army, they train them in a hard way. And they train them for war. And they teach them to listen to the instructions of the general so that they detach themselves from the chaos of the battlefield so that they can think straight when things are bad. See, this strategy is used by predators in the world. When lions attack prey, sometimes they like to attack them when they go to the watering hole. Or they go to the river to drink. And lions are clever because when they give out a roar, water has a way, as an element, to reflect sound. And it creates a stereo system. 
and it creates like you are hearing it in an amplified way and the sound becomes a surround sound. That's what water does. So when a lion roars, the predator has their head down and when they hear this surround sound, they don't know where the lion is. And in panic, they start running and they run right into where the lion is. And that's exactly what Satan does. That's why when, when, when at the height of conflict, instead of people just being still and don't rush making permanent decisions and don't start talking things with your mouth based on how you feel. But we lose the presence of mind. Oh yeah. But as a soldier, got to be disciplined. Satan uses fear, confusion. People become afraid that God's not going to answer. Today, people become afraid that the sickness won't go. So, no, it won't go if it's a solid, solid, so. Leave your God. If you don't do it, you're going to die. And yet 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. You'll know that Satan's kingdom will always use fear. He'll always tell you, you're going to die. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to lose your life. And if you don't do it now, So Satan's kingdom doesn't give us time to think it through. You are pushed into it. You are intimidated. It becomes a spiritual force that tries to rob you of two things, faith and patience. And it takes away your peace. It begins replaying your circumstances instead of reminding you of the promises of God. That even when your circumstances are at their worst, God is still working. For all things work together for good to those who love God. What you need is just to be still and just wait it out. Your life is in the hands of God. God's going to come through for you. We see this when Jairus came to Jesus for the healing of his daughter. And as Jairus was talking to Jesus about the daughter, then in the midst of that, after Jesus said, okay, I'll come to your house. And then the next thing, the woman with the issue of blood comes and and touches Jesus. And while she's talking to Jesus, another set of news comes and this is how it goes. Don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. This is what happens to many people. For a while, you are having a miraculous encounter. It worked just as they said at church. For a while. And all of a sudden, the bottom falls out. And it's, it's in that state where Jesus makes the statement to Jairus, Fear not. Ah. 
only believe. He doesn't say pray more. He doesn't say fast. He doesn't say cast out the devil. He doesn't say any of that. He says have the presence of mind, Jairus. Fear not. Don't run because you are hearing noise. Don't turn and try. You don't know where the predator is. Just be still. Just stay where you are. Just fear not. Hold on to what you prayed. Hold on to what you believed God for. Hold on to what the word of God says. Can I hear an amen in the house? Hold on. Hold on. I've told people in our journey, there have been years where we did all we could. We never saw growth in many things. We prayed. We fasted. We want people. To, we did all we could. But there was little in turn. You know what I told people when we come out of COVID? Many churches, we were, people didn't come back. In the numbers we were expecting. We were expecting it's about COVID. The following January, we will be packed out. People zing zonged us. <laughs> and I said to Baruti, Moya pants. Moya pants. Let's get into building mode again. Let's not start making statements that are irresponsible. Hey, shh. There were those who were already saying no. They were already debating. Is it necessary that we should meet like this? Hasn't God moved for us to be on, online? Which is great to be online. And we should encourage it to be online. But they were already debating whether is it all these big buildings of yours, are they necessary? And I just said, shh. Have the presence of mind have the presence of mind. And I can guarantee you, in the last two years, we are seeing difference and a change and a change. And the same change is going to happen in your life and your life and your life. Ah, come on, if you believe that, give the Lord a shout. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in your home. It's going to happen in your business. It's going to happen in your career. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Just have the presence of mind. Fear not. Only believe. Pastor Ray says, and I like the way he says it. He says, when you get into a moment of darkness, remember what God told you when you were in the light. <laughs> because when the moment of darkness comes, God doesn't say anything new. In fact, he doesn't say anything. Mamela, Mamela. You learn more by what God doesn't say in the same way by what he says. Mamela, Mamela. If he doesn't say, he is still saying. If he doesn't say, what he is saying is the last thing that I said still applies. Nothing has changed. Just stay there. There have been times in my leadership where there was, I prayed, there was nothing new God told me. Oh yeah, nothing new. But I knew by him not saying, he is saying. He is saying, comrade, the status quo remains. Look at it never say the status quo remains. Yeah, just continuing the same thing. Have the presence of mind. And finally, number four. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Number four. 
create a sense of agency. It's called the, the death ground strategy. Death ground strategy. You see, in wartime, you can be your own worst enemy. When you waste previous time dreaming of the future instead of engaging in the presence. So, in times of war, make sure that you are desperate, not in a sense of fear or rushing, but desperate to take hold of what rightfully belongs to you at that moment. See, when your back is against the wall, you need to make up your mind that what God has said about you will come to pass. And remember, when the enemy tries to come against you, Sometimes it is in that time when your back is against the wall, you'll discover things about you that you didn't know you have. <laughs> you know, I'll give you this example. You know, I, you know growing up in Soweto was very, has been a very interesting thing. I learned so many things from Soweto that I put in my sermon. Now, things are different now. I see people in Soweto having dogs that they are walking. You know, now we never used to walk any dog in our time. <laughs> I don't. A dog and a cat. Mm -mm. We used to call them goho. <laughs> and I don't want to say it so graphically. Some of you will be very upset with me. But we, we used to chase dogs and cats. When you saw it, you, you chased it. And, and I remember we, 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 at, at my home, the, we, 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 there's a church that is diagonal opposite to my home. We used to love playing at that house. Big yard. They had a double garage and all of that. And they always used to be stray animals that would be passing around there. And this one time there was this cat that I saw. So I took two bricks. I, I, don't judge me. I'm a new creature now. And I went after this cat. It ran into the garage and I followed it. Yeah. I cornered it. Yeah. I had these two bricks. And I got closer. And all of a sudden, this timid cat that was running away from me, it just metamorphosed and changed. I mean, it started purring, revealing its nails and its teeth and charging to, oh my goodness. I didn't, I, I didn't even want to enter into any conversation. I just turned and ran away. <laughs> but when I was thinking about it, I thought, I didn't know that cat was so vicious. <laughs> but I only discovered what it was made of when it had its back against the wall. <laughs> yeah. As you spend time as a soldier in the word, in prayer, meditating on God's word, going to church, you don't realize how much you are building your inside. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you, you, you don't realize. Up until you, you get into a corner 
where it looks like nothing else is working and all of a sudden that word that you have been feeding on that word that has launched in your heart that rhema of God that has launched in your spirit that has incubated on the inside of you the Holy Spirit that you have been fellowshipping with those prayers that you have been praying all of a sudden something different comes out of you and you find out who you are in that moment when you have your back against the wall and you didn't know you can do that and all of a sudden you find out a side about you that you didn't know you have may this year be that year where you will find out the giant who lies on the inside of you Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities and powers. And says, and having done all to stand. Stand. Make up your mind. You are not running away anymore. This year. I'm not running from any conflict this year. Come on now. I'm not going to cry myself to sleep anymore this year. I'm not going to be discouraged this year. I'm not going to close down anything God has told me to do. I'm not going to run. Even when I'm sick, I'm going to get up and I'm going to get into war again. Even when my mind tells me not to do it, I'm going to fight and fight and fight and fight and fight until I can see greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world and you can stand against the enemy. And so this year is going to be a year where we are going to use that strategy of war. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 10, finally my brother, let me be strong in the Lord, in the Lord, and in the power of his might. One translation says, on account of the things I've exhorted you before, which cannot perform in your own strength, I advise you to be strong in the Lord. The word strong there or rather in the power of his mind. The word power there is the word kratos. And it's the word, that word kratos speaks of a power, listen to this, whose purpose is to infuse the believer with an excessive dose of inward strength. The word strong there. Kratos presents a picture of some explosive power of God which is deposited in a container or a vessel. So you and me, we are specially designed to be receptacles of the power of God. Much as you are walking around as a being, but really, you are a carrier. <laughs> Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. In Colossians 1.27, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in you. And when you have your back against the wall, then you discover what you're possessing on the inside of you. But you only learn what's in you when you don't run anymore like that cat used to run. But when you stand and face up to the conflict and tell the enemy, bring it on. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in me. And so this year, make up your mind, I'm not running anymore. I'm not retreating anymore. I've got my car on forward, drive mode, never in reverse, 
and never in neutral. And the God who started a good work in me will bring it to completion till the day of Jesus Christ. Come on, give the Lord a big shout tonight as we close. Come on, give the Lord a shout, somebody. Wow. We've prayed tonight. I wanted us to start with prayer. We've exhausted our time. You won't believe time is up. Let's stand and close it a word of prayer. Ah, tomorrow, I'm going to talk about strategic spiritual warfare in terms of influencing cities and territories. We're going to talk about that kind of praying and we're going to pray that kind of prayer. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I came this week. <laughs> I'm being honest. I, 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 I'm learning just as much as you. And if this is the way we are starting this year, I can't imagine the things that God is going to do in your life. Listen, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into your heart the good things that God has in store for those who love it. And Father, tonight, our hearts are overflowing with gratitude for showing us and equipping us for strategic level spiritual warfare. We've learned the strategies today. And in all of it, we know that we are more than conquerors. Help us to have the presence of mind and not allow the noise of the warfare to confuse us. To never forget who we are in Christ and what we possess in Christ. May your grace and your mercy continue to be bestowed on upon our lives in increasing measures. The grace of God and the mercy of God the communion of the Holy Spirit will you rest upon us all. May the fullness of your destiny for our lives be a reality. And maybe we walk in the fullness of your provision, fully increasing in the knowledge of God and fruitful in every good work. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit Rest upon us all. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Yeah. Hallelujah. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless you.